Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. Good morning, everybody. Man, I'm excited to be here and excited to be in the house of God. And really, you know, um, it's been a minute since I've had a chance to preach. I think it was back in February. Last time I preached, um, I was talking about who told you that. Some of y'all remember that. Um, but there's just a lot of stuff, obviously, that's happening in the house, in the world, in the body of Christ at large. It's just a really interesting season. And, you know, it's not my job as a worship pastor to get up here and preach when I'm, when I'm leading worship. Right? My job is to lead you into the presence of God. And I don't try to correct you or move whatever. But um, I think today, the thing that God's placed in my heart, I believe it's for the body. It's for a season. It's for such a time as this. And I'm excited that I get to preach on a topic that I really genuinely believe in. I believe in the church. When we wrote this song, how many of you enjoy this song, by the way? I'm soliciting. Yes, 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 yes. Um, We're going to do it probably one more week. And the reason why we're doing it back to back to back to back, I never normally do that. But I wanted to make sure, first of all, we get the song into the culture, into your hearts. And this is going to be our next single coming out as soon. Yeah. So as soon as you learn it and and you sing it strong, it's going to be our next single coming out. So we'll probably do it one more week if if you can handle that. But uh, I'm excited about it. But when we wrote the song, my team and I, there was a bunch of us that, that collaborated and put different thoughts and ideas into it. But think about that bridge. It says, no, I can't remember. What's, how's the bridge go? Uh, no, it says, uh, it's, the bridge says, God of mercy, God of peace, God of what? Justice. You don't hear that in many songs these days. But a God of justice to who? The least of these. And we're talking about whatever that looks like all around the world. And I love the part that says, we stand united. There's division and confusion and frustration and all kinds of stuff around us. But we stand united and we fight for life. And I'm talking about not just lives of what the people you see, but people that are coming and that are before us. And for every nation, for every tongue. And for every tribe, straight out of scripture, that's Revelation chapter something. But those are the things that I feel like God is wanting to get into the heart of his people and into this house. So I feel like you're prepared today. The other thing I want to say is I realized that after four months of being in this whole situation we've been in, and especially the first several weeks, some of you don't realize that we were recording on Fridays and then we were playing it for you on Sunday mornings. By the way, God bless you. I got to remember to look at that as well a little bit more for those of you who haven't been able to be in the building. But we've been, we were recording and then on Sunday morning, so I got up and I found myself, I had to be very conscious of not allowing myself to become a spectator, but being a worshiper. So I can say that to you. And we were, we were already in the building. We had been here having those moments of gathering together. But I found on those Sunday mornings when I would get up and watch with you, I had to be intentional. Like, I'm not just going to watch a screen, but I'm going to participate. I'm going to sing. I'm going to worship. Why? Because it's not something that it does for God. It does something for you to participate. Say amen. 
Good. So while we're in the room, I want to hear you back. I want to hear your yeses. I want to hear your agreement to the word of God because it does something to stir up what's inside of you to become alive. Amen. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And that's where the bulk of the message is going to be. That's not true. The bulk of the message is going to be in Matthew. But we're going to look at 1 Timothy, <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says, for God will never give you the spirit of fear. I'm going to read that again. For God will never give you the spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. And then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love, as we just sang, casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. And for any of you who have lived with the spirit of fear, it's tormenting. It really is. Fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Let's pray and we'll go. Father, thank you. I already sense your presence in this room. I sense an atmosphere of faith in this house, and I thank you that you're going to speak through this vessel. As always, I yield my tongue and my thoughts to you, and I thank you that only you can breathe life into words that are spoken through this human being. But Lord, I thank you that it transcends our minds and even our ability to rationalize or understand, but you speak to our spirit. You speak to the Holy Spirit that is on the inside of us. And so we resonate and we, we, we grab a hold of that, God, today. And we thank you for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. And so, as I said earlier, I'm thrilled to be able to preach on a subject that I've spent my entire life believing in. Um, when you think about that word arise, we're seeing this month, let the church arise, right? That word arise means to wake up, to awaken, to mount, to ascend, to come into being. And it's an action word. The word arise is not passive. It's an active thing. When you're waking up, you're not just kind of falling out of bed. You are waking up. It's like a being startled like I was at 2.45 a.m. this morning. Because for whatever reason, my alarm was set for 2.45 a.m. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? And then you're up and you're all nervous. Like, did I miss service? Am I late? Are people there? Is she going to sing for me? You know, what's going to happen? So, so thank God I woke up and, and I, I feel like God is saying to the church, arise, wake up. Wake up. We've got to come out of the slumber, out of the, out of the uh, you know, spectator space that I feel like the enemy wants us to get in. And when I'm yelling today, I ain't yelling at you. I'm yelling at the devil because I'm stirred up. So arise means to wake up, to awaken, to mount, to sin, to come along, to be into action. And I feel like this time, especially where we are as a church and in the world, we're dealing with something called, everybody heard this phrase called cancel culture? Anybody know what that is? The whole concept of being in the cancel culture is that if you think differently than someone else or you have an opposing opinion to something and a group of people don't prefer what you believe, then they call it nowadays canceling. 
I'm going to cancel you because of your political beliefs. I'm going to cancel you before, because of how you stand with the church or whatever. And it's interesting, and I'll probably go into this next week, but I started to study the word church. And Pastor Richard for years has taught this concept of the church being the ecclesia. He's taught it over and over, and if you haven't had a chance, we can even give you some references from it. But the, the definition of the word ecclesia, the church, ecclesia, is very specific, and it's different than, I think, what our society and our generation has tried to turn it into. Now, I'm not going to go into the definition so much of it today, but if I were just to give you an overview of what the ecclesia is, basically, it's a group of called-out ones gathering together. So the church is a group of called-out ones who are gathering together toward action. Here's what I never paid attention to. What have we been called out of? I started looking and thinking that if you go back to the original translation, if you go back to the original church, I'm going to probably study a little bit of Acts next week as I preach, but if you go back to what the foundation of the church itself was, you find that the church from the very beginning was countercultural. It was countercultural. The whole concept of the church was that we were called out of what the government structure was, what was happening in society during those days. The Bible was saying that those people who were part of the early church, guys, they faced conflict. They faced so much ridicule. They faced being ostracized. And you think that we see a cancel culture today. They were the original cancel culture. Because everything that they were preaching and everything that they were bringing to the table had never been experienced in society before. So what I realized is that this whole concept of who the church is, I'm so grateful that you can't cancel me. I cancel you. You can't cancel me, I cancel you. Oh. <laughs> That's how I started thinking. Like, I don't want you to accept me into your way of thinking. By very definition of ecclesia, we're called out from the standards of the world. Do you know how much freedom that's brought me? As I approach different seasons of my life and moments and times when we walk into this concept of caring what folks think, and having to be careful about what we say or don't say. Do you know I've been sitting on the edge of my seat for four months? <laughs> Stuff I wish I could say. And I'm going to be careful today because it's my first time preaching. <laughs> but I started thinking through the process and I'm like, look, you can't cancel me. You can't tell me what it is that I believe. You don't get to change what I know to be true. I don't care if everybody's poll and everybody's opinion and everybody's sights and everybody. I know what it is that I believe because I've walked this thing. And I fought as long as I can remember for the church to arise. And I've stood as long as I, through family situations and through life situations and through fears and through doubts and through all the stuff that happens. And I can tell you that I do not regret my absolute dependence and expectation 
and posture that I take to defend the church. And I'm going to show you why that's so important over the next couple weeks. But the reality is, it's the only organism. i got to get used to this table. Move this thing back. It's the only organism <laughs> that God said, I'm going to build that thing and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Amen. Come on, I hear you in the room. I hear you in the room. It's literally the only thing that God said. Think of this. Not governments. Not structures of man. Not parties. Not all the stuff that we have to spend so much time debating and being frustrated over. I'm so I'm so, I don't even know the right word, but I'm, I'm just so grateful that this thing that God promised from day one that I will build and hell is not going to prevail against it. I've put all my stock in it, man. You know, they tell you don't put all your eggs in one basket. I got every egg. I got the chicken. I got the whole, everything I got is in this basket of the church. So I believe in it and I fight for it. And here's what I realized. So through this whole process, I understood that a part of my thinking about the church really came from, and if you guys have ever heard me preach, you know I'm all about the backstory, right? Where do you come from? What makes you think the way that you think? And I realized that this whole cancel culture has also tried to bring fear into my life. I'm just going to be honest with you because I'm going to hit that this morning and some of you are going to get set free today right here and wherever you're watching from. But the spirit of fear really has tried to attach itself to some of the things that we've had to walk through during this time. Yeah. Do you know how careful Pastor Richards had to be as a white pastor with a multicultural church? Can I say that? Do you, do you know how much he has had to dodge and weave and angle and work and navigate and figure out? And I love that the man just believes the word of God. And he speaks the word of God. Do you know how much we've had to deal with trying to figure out, do we open the services? Don't we open the services? Do we have the kids come? Do we not have the kids come? Do we start a build group or a life group or something else? Do, do you know how much we've had to wrestle and work through to figure out how to navigate this stuff? And when we're trying to make decisions, a lot of times what tries to, has tried to come into my mind is, well, what will the people think and how they're going to feel about it? And are they going to cancel? Are they going to cancel us? Right? So I realized that the enemy was trying to draw me back into a spirit of fear. And this is the reason why I'm so adamant about this thing. Because as a young boy, I grew up and I'm so thankful for the background of church that I had. And I'm so thankful for the heritage and the generations of hearing God's word and being around the things of the spirit and, and being in a place where there was a great atmosphere of faith. But I also realized that so much of my Christian experience and so much of my perspective about the church was based out of fear. It was, it was based on, now I've always had a love for Jesus. So when I was a little kid, literally my earliest memories are being in a church, is being in a building, sitting on the front row in red pews with my mom and, and getting into her Amway bag and eating her <laughs> mints and playing with stuff. Like, right? So that's, that was my earliest memories. But I also realized that some of that loving of God was connected to fear. 
Now, I don't have time, and thank God Ryan, you know, our media director was saying, look, you got to be careful because we got kids in the room because I had a couple clips that I was going to show, and he's like, oh, that may not be the best clip to show. So, so he kind of helped edit me and censor it. But I'm going to show you literally, I think it's 30 seconds, 50 seconds of something that helped to shape my childhood, if you would go. Now, clearly that's from 19 or something, and the quality is not great, but does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know that movie, A Thief in the Night? Anybody remember the movie about Left Behind? So y'all never saw that. You never had the nightmares that I had. (laughs) No, I like legit. I legit... I still remember the music to that movie. And there was a song that said, There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and... That's not faith. I'm six years old and I've been left behind. I ain't even old enough to really sin. And this is my, my, my salvation experience. <laughs> right? I mean, I know I'm joking about it, but the reality is I remember watching that movie and I was probably, I I might've been probably about eight years old. And I remember coming in and seeing this movie, we'd watch them twice a year, once at Easter and once around the Christmas holiday. And we would rent a big old projector (laughs) and put it in the middle of the room and pull down the screen and we'd play this film. And literally, at least twice a year, I got saved. Because <laughs> I didn't want to be left behind as an eight-year-old. <laughs> but I remember, I remember that through that movie, it started to shape my values of church. And I got to give you this backstory it, because it's going to be relevant to where we're headed over the next couple weeks. But it started to shape how I thought about God. So... In one of the movies, there's two or three of them that I saw, but one of them had this scene where you had to go through and they were talking about the mark of the beast. And you heard that every day. The mark of the beast, the mark of the beast, and you'd be left behind. So I'm eight years old, coming home from school with a single parent mom. I was a, what do they call it when you watch TV? You're, you're raised by the TV. A latch, I'm a latchkey kid, and I remember for months on end, I would come to the house, and I'd be nervous because some of the scenes would show people would be in the middle of their everyday deal, and then there'd just be a pile of clothes left there, right? And then one of the clips showed, one of the clips showed that people would be driving in a train, or they'd be riding down the street or whatever, and then the train would go off the rails because the pilot clearly, or the, the instructor was Christian, and the, the people who are left on the train are left behind. And I would come home, and I would literally be nervous because I'd see if my mom, my, God forbid, my mom left her clothes in a pile. 
For real. And I know, <laughs> I know it's, I, we're, I'm, I'm joking lightly about it, but that's honestly, I lived in fear. I lived in constant fear. I was a scary kid. When I say scary, you know what I mean? That's kind of a term we call it. When you're scared, you're just scared of everything. I was a scary kid. And I realized as an adult that some of that was the spirit of fear that had attached itself to me. And here's the thing. It found its way to me through the church. It found its way to me, to my way of thinking, through having bad theology and nobody correcting and helping to share it with me. Look, you're, you're, a, you're a person who can receive Jesus when you've got him. You know, I, ne- I didn't know all that part. I was just scared into, Lord, forgive me for my sins. And then, uh, probably a couple years after that, I vividly remember. I'm old enough to remember when you didn't have the UPC scanner on everything, all your boxes that you do now. Anybody remember those days? Am I dating myself? Y'all, when they came out with that UPC scanner, I knew the next step was market a beast, market a beast, market a beast. Right? And so you're scared of it. And I realized that in that being the way my faith had been shaped, I had to deal with the spirit of fear for a long time. And so as I'm talking about now, when that thing starts to raise its ugly head, and you start to feel however it tries to sneak its way in through whatever you're dealing with, I am adamant about dealing with the spirit of fear. Why? Because 1 Timothy says, 2 Timothy says, God will never give you the spirit of fear. But he gives you the Holy Spirit. And he gives you mighty power and love. And I love this last line. And self-control. Which means it's not a magic potion that you take. It's not just something even somebody can necessarily just pray off of you. It's decisions you have to make to not allow yourself to be controlled by the spirit of fear. And I know I'm talking to people in this room. And I know I'm talking to people online. I know it like I know my name. The spirit of fear has been so rampant during this time, in this season, not just in the U.S., but around the world. The spirit of fear has tried to grip people's hearts and turn them away from the faith and the truth of the word of God. As I read 1 John, there is no fear in love, but the perfect love of God casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who, has, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now turn with me over to Matthew chapter 24, and that is indeed where the rest of the text is for these few moments. So in Matthew chapter 24, we find in verse 12, This is Jesus having a moment with his disciples. And the interesting part of this whole scenario is, always again the backstory is that Jesus had been with the multitudes. He'd been with crowds of people. He always was being hounded and people wanted to be around him, wanted to have relationship with him, wanted to talk to him. I love Jesus. Like I love him. I love the fact that he was relatable. I love the fact that kids loved him. I love the fact that he was approachable and people wanted to be around him. I love the fact that he was unwavering in who he was, but there was something that was magnetic about Jesus. And I would just say as a believer, your mission is people, right? And if we're people, doesn't it make sense that we're attractive to them? 
I'm not saying compromising who you are, but I'm saying doesn't it make sense that you're approachable, that you can have conversations, that you are relatable, that, that things that matter to them matter to you? And so this is Jesus. We find him after having been with crowds of people. His disciples always wanted to find a time where they could be alone with Jesus. And so in this passage, in Mark chapter 24, you find that his disciples had a couple brief moments where they're asking Jesus these questions. And I won't go into all of it. I'm going to jump into about halfway through. But the first part is they ask him, what about this tribulation that you've been talking about? Because here's the thing. When I'm eight years old, at eight years old, I thought the world would have been, would have been gone by now. No, I really did. If every message you hear every Sunday is get your heart prepared for the rapture, the rapture's coming. The rapture's coming. Jesus is coming. Make sure your heart's prepared. Am I talking to anybody? If, if you hear that every week of your life, I'm, I would have thought a long time ago the world was done, that we're through. So here we are now 40 plus years later, and I realize that the same conversations I was having as an eight-year-old watching a scary movie Jesus had with his disciples thousands of years before. Isn't that crazy? So scholars will tell you that it's hard for them to pinpoint exactly all the things that Jesus was saying in this prophetic word because some of them said, well, some of these things already happened in 70 A.D., some of them are saying, well, it may happen soon. Some are, so there's all these differing opinions. And what I came to the conclusion of is that Jesus was saying, look, I want to keep it somewhat vague because I need every generation to have a reason to seek me. Did you get that? Every generation has to have their own left behind moment. Because what, the, what you'll see ultimately happens is you're drawn to Jesus for whatever reason that is. Every generation has one. So in Matthew chapter 24, it says, there will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those who hearts, whose hearts once turned with passion for God will other, excuse me, I'll read that again, that those whose hearts once turned with passion for God and others will grow cold. Those whose passion, those whose passion for God will grow cold. Look at verse 13 though. It says, but keep your hope to the end and you will experience life and deliverance. And another translation of that in Matthew 24, 13 in the New Living says it this way. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That word endures, we, we're going to define it this morning. The word, in, excuse me, endures means this. It means to hold one's ground in conflict. Endure. When it says those who endure to the end are going to see victory, it means you're going to have to hold your ground in conflict. It means you're going to have to bear up against adversity. It means you're going to have to hold out. I wrote that wrong. Hold out under stress. Stand firm. Persevere under pressure. Wait calamity, calmly and courageously. 
I'm going to say it again. Bear up against adversity. Hold out under stress. Stand firm. Persevere under pressure. Wait calmly and courageously through whatever it is we're dealing with. I don't have answers for you. I thought we'd be back hugging people three months ago. Miss Vicky, she has the best hugs, man. I got to dap her and say, hey, from a distance and wear my mask. And you should. And you should do all those things. But I thought that this wasn't, I didn't think this was the long game. And I realized, Pastor Richard has said it several times already this month, that this thing is a marathon, not a sprint. And all the stuff that we're dealing with, the calamity, the, the stress, the adversity, the uncertainty, the Bible says those who endure to the end you are going to be the ones. You are going to be the ones. Those who endure to the end, you're going to be the ones who are saved. And verse 14 says this, Yet through it all, this joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed all over the earth, providing every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God. Read that again. Yet through all that you're dealing with, all the adversity, all the stress, all the striving, this joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed over all the earth. Somebody say all the earth. All the earth. How much do you think all the earth is? All it's all the earth. <laughs> every nation, every tongue, every tribe. Now I can tell you after 40 two, three, whatever nations we've been to, I know that there are still people groups who don't know who Jesus is. I know. I mean, I know that there are still places where the gospel at this point has not reached. So look what this scripture says, because Jesus is telling this to his disciples thousands of years ago. So they're all thinking, hey, the end's coming. Hey, the end's coming. Jesus is coming back. Mark of the beast. You know, whatever. They were thinking that, but they were thinking... Thousands of years ago, whatever their process was, and Jesus says to us, no, 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 here's what's going to happen. Um, th through it all, the joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed over all of the world, providing every nation, say every nation, every nation, every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God until every nation has been provided with a demonstration of the reality of God, it says then, after this, say after this. So after every nation has been provided with an opportunity for the demonstration of the love and the presence of God, then the end of the age will arrive. Now, I'm not smart enough to speak on eschatology, okay? I don't have degrees. I haven't done enough study. So I can tell you right off the bat, I ain't that dude. I ain't the dude who's going to talk to you about the end times and the harvest and post-rapture and pre-trib and all the stuff that goes. I don't know. But here's what I do know. The Bible said that until all people groups have a chance to have the revelation of who God is, the end is not coming. Now, I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know if that's... Next week, I don't know if they find some way. I, I don't know what the timetable is, but what I do know is he left me as the church on the earth to make sure I am letting people know about who Jesus is. Yeah. 
That's the posture you get to take. So then all the fear and all the trepidation and all the cancel culture and all how should I vote and what should I say and what do I feel about this and that and that, all the stuff that we're fighting with and we're dealing with and we're having to work our ways through. Do you understand that your mandate from the beginning of time from the word of God was to just let people know who Jesus is? Can I say that? It's a real simple concept. Your position, your place in all of it is to make sure that we let people know who Jesus is. I don't know when Jesus is going to return. I don't. You know what the Bible says? Jesus doesn't know when Jesus is going to return. Do you all know that? The scripture says that the only person... Jesus says of that whole concept, the only person who knows when I'm, when I'm going to return is my Father in heaven. So if he doesn't know, how many of you know we don't know? <laughs> but what I do know, I wish we'd all been... No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> what, I, what I do know is you have a chance to be ready. And the spirit of fear that is clouding your mind Guys, I get it. I talk to teachers. They don't know what's happening. I know the dates keep changing. I think it was the beginning of August. Now, I think it's the middle of August. I don't even know what the date is. The 20-something of August. So now we got a new date of what's happening with school. We don't know. It could be next week in the name of Jesus. No, it won't, so I won't even say that out of my mouth. But we don't know what's happening with the phases. The phases are changing. Right? There's, there's breakouts and then people get, and then people start doing what? Getting scared. Are you hearing me? I'm not saying you don't live with, you, that you don't live cautiously and smart and do the right things and wear your masks and wash your hands and practice the social, do all of those things. But I'm imploring you, don't let fear grip your heart. Because he's not giving you the spirit of fear. Don't let fear dictate the decisions you make. Don't let fear, and I know there's a lot of stuff, so I'm not minimizing what what you're going through. I know people are wondering still about their jobs at times. And you're wondering, how am I going to homeschool when I got to do my own job and I got three kids? I know you're wondering. You're wondering, hey, is it okay when you hear about people that have passed that are close to you? And you wonder, where am I at in that whole process? I get it. But I refuse to be led by a spirit of fear. And I'm asking you, I'm imploring you by the Spirit of God, don't let those things grip your heart and make you make decisions based on that rather than what God is saying for you to do or not do. And everybody's got their place. You see, again, we're at portion, partial capacity. Why? Because we're trying to adhere to what we have to do on our part because we want you to know we love you enough to protect you as best we can. But don't let fear. I, I gotta. I gotta. Oh, I should be done. I gotta finish. You guys, all right? I want to finish with one thing, and this was not my original thought. So I'll give credit to who it was. His name was Pastor Samuel Rodriguez, but he started talking about this generation, and he started talking about the fact 
that he's excited about where we are, that you were born for such a time as this. That's not just a verse in the Bible. That's a concept. When he made you for this time, he knew you could handle the season that you're in. Say amen. He knew you could handle the season that we are in. You were made for this. You were chosen for this particular time. But he said in this season, there are three things that he called the trifecta. And he said that the trifecta consists of, number one, fear. Number two, depression. Number three, anxiety. He says it's a perfect trifecta because people are dealing with fear, which oftentimes leads them into being depressed about what they're scared of. And then the anxiety part, he said he would submit to you that anxiety may be worse than both fear and depression put together. And here's why. Because he said, fear is what you're dealing with right now. He said, depression usually comes from what you went through. You're dealing with stuff in the past. But he said, the power of anxiety is it is the thing that cripples your future. You get that? Anxiety is being worried about tomorrow that hadn't happened yet. Anxiety is, is losing sleep and hope and, and being gripped by something that hasn't even happened yet. So it's more dangerous in some ways than just fear and depression because it cripples people. It locks them in. I'm so anxious. I'm anxious about what's going to happen with my job. I'm anxious about school. I'm anxious about if I go to the wrong store, am I going to pick something up from somebody because the cases keep rising up. I'm anxious. So he's saying that the perfect trifecta, one of the hardest elements in that that sequence is anxiety. And I break the spirit of anxiety. God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's not given you a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I have to quit, but I feel God even in this moment. And I know as sure as I'm standing here that there are some of you who are dealing not with just fear and even depression, but I'm talking about anxiety. I'm talking about the crippling thing that keeps your soul from being able to have peace. Whether it's in the nighttime, whether it's when you're going to work, whether it's when you're dealing with whatever you're doing with school, we are not minimizing what you're dealing with. Let me say it again. We are not minimizing what it is that you're facing. And we understand that the stuff you're dealing with is real, that it's real circumstances. It it feels like the truth. But I want to implore you that the Spirit of God over and over, some people say it's 365, some people know that there's at least a couple hundred times in the Word of God that it expressly and specifically says, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. And so those of you there, bow your heads if you would in this room. Those of you, and I know it, and I'm not just talking about just kind of being nervous because, you know, you're dealing with your light bills and you got to pay mortgage and you got financial, I get all that, I get it, there's stuff that happens. But I'm talking about the spirit of anxiety that is crippling your tomorrow. 
Fear is today. Depression is yesterday. But anxiety is about tomorrow. What you haven't even tasted yet. And I love the scripture. If the birds don't worry about what they're going to eat and how they're going to be clothed, how much more does God want to take care of you? feel God. So I'm asking you right now with heads bowed and eyes closed and wherever you are in the room and wherever you are online, I'm asking you right now to take this moment and I'm going to pray for you because the spirit of fear and anxiety is not from God. It is not from God. The perfect love of God casts out those fears. If that's you in this room, if that is you in this room and you know I'm talking to you, lift up your hands because I'm going to pray for you. I see 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 you and I get it. And this is not judgmental or critical. We, we all have moments and places and phases. And so right now, God, I'm asking you by the spirit of God, the, the, the concepts and the mentality about who we are as the church, I'm asking you, first of all, to revise that. And I'm asking you to not let it be motivated by fear, but by your love for us. What is it? It's not, it's not acts that cast out fear. It's not what I've done or done, not done. It's the perfect love of God. And so I'm asking you that every person with your hands lifted, keep them lifted if you're here. I see you. If you are in this room, Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak to the spirit of fear and the spirit of anxiety. And I thank you, Lord God, that that thing that has tried to cripple people, not from what happened yesterday or today, but it's trying to keep them from their tomorrow. I speak to that in Jesus' name. And I ask you, Lord God, to let your perfect love be demonstrated in their lives and in their hearts that they would know that the Spirit of God is stronger than the spirit of fear. And right now today for the rest of us in this room, Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you guide us. We don't know. We've not been this way before. But I trust, God, that you are leading us every single step of the way. Give us peace. Give us hope. Let there be comfort, comfort in the middle of our mourning. Thank you for turning sorrows into joy. And God, we will see the other side of this thing. And we will see that you've been faithful all the way through. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, if you got something this morning, put your hands together for Jesus. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you.